0: Super excited about this series. So we're jumping into this series called Advent Conspiracy, and, and really what we're trying to do is we're trying to take a look at how we as Americans celebrate Christmas and kind of say there's some good in there and there's also some nonsense in there, right? And we're gonna try and tease out within this how can we celebrate Christ in a faithful way, how can we celebrate this Advent season in a way that honors God, that honors each other, that loves each other, that sees those around us who are hurting, who are broken, and and also allows us to enter into all the good stuff that God has for us at Christmas, right? So super excited about that, super excited about where we're going. With this, I know that many of you are expecting me to just do like a BCS analysis right now of the top four teams. Uh, we could get an Alabama fan up here. We could do like an Ohio State-Alabama count, count, counterpoint kind of thing, like a sports. I'm not going to do any of that. Um, but I might be watching my phone at noon in the middle of this message just to see if Ohio State gets in. Just throwing that out there uh, when when uh, when we adopted Claire, uh, my daughter Claire, when we adopted her and she first came home, she did this really kind of weird and fun kind of thing. She would be out in the yard playing, and she would be doing what little kids do. she'd be chasing a bug or playing picking flowers or just running around in the front yard. And we had this porch swing on the front of our porch. And I would just kind of sit in the porch swing and just kind of watch, you know, make sure she's not running in the street, make sure that she's not doing something she shouldn't do, make sure there's no creepers around, you know, all those things that good parents do. And, And what Claire would do is as she was playing, she would kind of gather up and about every two or three minutes, she would look up to me in the porch swing and she would run up to me And she would climb on my lap. She would look at me in the eyes. She might, sometimes she even turned my face towards her face, and she'd smile and jump down and run off and play again. And she would do this over and over and over again. So if we were out there for 45 minutes, every five minutes, there was a return to me, a looking at me in the face, a looking at me in the eyes, a little smile. Sometimes there was a giggle, which I love, right? That giggle of your child is the greatest sound in the entire world, or your grandkids, but I think kids are better, right? But but I don't know yet, so maybe maybe grandkids are better. My kids are turds sometimes, so I don't know. Uh, but, but as we get there, right, there's this beautiful moment all the time. And what it was like, like it was like she needed to know that I saw her she needed to know that when she was out playing she was out exploring the world because the world was new and big for her right she had grown up in an orphanage in Ethiopia and suddenly she was in the inner city of Louisville right and so this whole world was new to her but she needed to know that she was seen She needed to know that somebody was watching. She needed to know that somebody noticed her. She needed to know that there was a place that she could return to that was safe and secure and good. And so even as a child within her DNA, there was this desire to be seen and to be known. I I think it's in all of us. In fact, I think it's one of the greatest needs that we have as human beings is to be seen and to be known. And there's great joy in being known, right? Scripture says that we're known as we really are that we're seen for who we are, that we're known as we're known. Like there's this beautiful thing about really being known. The people that really know you, the people that know your junk, the people that know your baggage, the people that know the good and the bad and the ups and the downs and know the worst of you and stay beside you, those are the people that we want in our lives, right? That's That's those are the greatest relationships we have. It's the people who really know us. And, and I'm, I'm not a relational giant. I'll just throw that out there. I am, I am an introvert off the charts. If I meet you and talk to you and I'm awkward, it's not because I don't like you. It's just because I'm an introvert and I don't know how to talk to people and I make things awkward. The introverts, you guys know what it is, right? Uh, okay, there's three of you that are with me. I know there's more introverts in the room than that. But, but I'm, I'm not a relational giant. But so, so I'm really good. This is what I know about myself. I'm really good at acquaintances, Right? I'm really good at shaking somebody's hand, talking about the weather, talking about the football game that happened over the weekend, talking about whatever I think they want to talk about, and then walking away. I'm really good at that. You know what I'm bad at? It's really being known. In, in, in fact, I know this about myself, that there are moments when I actually put up a wall relationally with people. Anybody else do this? I don't know why I do it, I don't know if it's because I've been hurt. I don't know if it's because of brokenness. I don't know if it's just because I'm weird. But there's a moment in a lot of relationships where I kind of like, I'm comfortable with us being this close, but I'm not comfortable with us being this close. (laughs) You with me? But there's something beautiful about being seen and being known. And there's something really, really painful about not being seen or not being known. We did a funeral here a couple weeks ago. 22-year-old kid committed suicide. It was the most painful thing I've sat through since I've been in Atlanta because there was this little boy so full of life and joy. Everybody loved him. He was the life of the party. They said he was the kid that had the joke. He was the kid that everybody turned to. He was the kid that everybody loved, but somewhere along the way, he felt unseen. Somewhere along the way, he felt alone. He felt lonely. He felt abandoned. And in that moment of deepest agony, he had nobody to call in that moment. There is immense pain with us being unseen or unknown, right? That idea of abandon, like nobody notices me, nobody sees me, nobody knows my pain, nobody knows my hurt, nobody knows what I'm walking through, nobody really knows the real me. There is intense pain in that, and it's a pain that every single one of us in this room have felt at one time or another in our life, of just feeling alone. Just feeling like, I don't know who to call. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know what's going on. I'm struggling, I'm battling, and I'm not sure what to do in this this moment, but I need to know that I'm seen. I need to know that somebody sees me. I need to know that somebody notices me. There is a longing inside of all of us to be known and to be seen. It's why celebrity is so intoxicating to us. The history of our culture right now is we love celebrity, in every area of our lives, we love people with their 10 seconds of fame, right? My kids, when I grew up, I wanted to play in the NBA. That's all I wanted to do, right? And part of the reason I wanted to play in the NBA was because when, when I played basketball, people saw me. They noticed me. They saw that kid's scoring points, that's good. He's getting some buckets, that's good. And so people noticed me and I wanted to be noticed more, so I thought, you know, how you get noticed more? You play on TV. You play on ESPN. I wanted to get that Division I scholarship so badly. I, I would lift weights all the time. I was running. I was practicing. I was doing everything. And it wasn't because I love basketball that much, which I do. It was because I wanted to be seen and I wanted to be known. You know what most of our kids want these days? This is crazy. They want to be YouTube celebrities. Are you, you, you guys familiar with this? Like My children, this is how, this is how disgusting my children are. Right? This is Our kids are idiots, I'm telling you right now. My children will watch hours and hours of other kids playing games. I'm like, it's bad enough that you play games 24 hours a day. Now you're watching somebody else, you're not even playing the game. You're just watching some kid play a game. <laughs> like why, I, and I, but, but what they want is they wanna become YouTube celebrities. Like every kid I talk to has a YouTube channel now. Every kid I know, they want this kind of celebrity. They want to be known. And there's this feeling of obscurity and insignificance that seeps into our life when we feel unseen or unknown. Dave Eggers wrote a book called The Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. And in the book, he captures this sentiment of celebrity and our celebrity culture. In his story, there's a young man that wants to get on the show, the MTV, The Real World. Anybody remember this? It'll date you a little bit if you remember this. But, but those of you who are my age, you will remember The Real World, where people stop being polite and start getting real. That was their tagline. Remember that? Remember that? It was awful it was a terrible show and I watched every season of it when I was when I was in high school right uh and and here's what he says so this character in Eggers' book it's a fictional book writes this note to MTV begging them to put him on the real world and here's what he says in it and it's both heartbreaking and real and kind of funny he says dear producers Something is radiating deep within me and it must be transmitted or I will implode and the world will suffer a great loss and they will be unaware. Epic are the proportions of my soul, yet without a scope, who cares who I am? This is why I must, just must be one of the inhabitants of MTV's The Real World. I am a Kirk Cameron, Kurt Cobain figure. If you don't know who those people are, ask the older people in the room. I am roguishly quirky. I am dandified but down to earth. I am kooky but comprehensible. I am a denizen of growing penumbra between alternative and mainstream culture. I am an angsty prophet of the already bygone apocalypse, yet I am upbeat, stylish, and sexy. OMTV, please take me, make me, wake me from my formless slumber and place me in the dream Me, real world of target marketing. (laughs) It's completely comical, right? But it's also completely relatable. Something is radiating deep within me and it must be transmitted or I will implode and the world will suffer a great loss. We've got this thing in our culture where we've all got these things in our pockets and we're doing something important, and we press certain buttons, and we do this, right? And then we post it to whatever thing that we're doing, and we let the world see us, yeah? Selfie, right? And for some of us, it's a little more dysfunctional than others, right? Some of you have a selfie problem. I'm just gonna throw that out there, right? (laughs) Others of us, it's just a mild problem. But for some of us we've got a selfie problem. In this world like we've gotta capture what we're doing and we've gotta program it out and send it out to the world and the reason why is why? Because we need to be seen. We wanna be seen. I want somebody to notice that I had courtside tickets at the Hawks game. I want somebody to notice that this lasagna looks really good. I want somebody to notice that I am a good dad and I'm hanging out with my children this week. I want somebody to notice that I, I spent, and these are all tr- kind of true things except for the courtside tickets of the Hawks, but if anybody wants to help out with that, I'm, I'm good with it. I, I want people to notice that I spent all week trying to get my Christmas lights figured out in my house. Anybody with me? Dads? I felt like Clark Griswold this week. Like everything was falling apart. I'd plug in one and would all, all of them would stop. I'd plug it in somewhere else, it was a disaster. But we want somebody to notice. We want to be seen, and social media, what it does is it falsely satisfy our desire to be seen. We post that picture and we start getting thumbs up from people and we think, huh, that's what I needed. Now I feel loved. Now I feel seen. Now I feel noticed. I'm not as alone because my friend in Wisconsin gave me a like. It's funny, but it's a little true, isn't it? And what we're doing when we do that is we're looking for somebody else to satisfy something that only God can satisfy. We're turning to the created things to give us something that only the creator can give us. So there's a reason why we want to be seen and want to be known. The reason why is because we were created to be seen and to be known by God. We were created to walk in the garden with him, to know him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to be known by him. And the problem and the challenge for us is we run from relationships with the Father. And so we're running from the one thing that can actually give us what we really want. We don't know how to interact with God in such a way where we actually are seen and known by him. And so we take this thing that's deep inside of us and we try and satisfy it somewhere else. An important question for us to reflect on as a culture right now is why does everybody feel so unseen? Like why? Why do we not see each other, one? And why do we feel unseen by God? Why do we feel like God has abandoned us, like God doesn't notice, like God doesn't see, like God doesn't recognize what we're doing? And how are we living that causes others to feel this way? So as we enter into the Advent series, it's interesting that the Advent season starts with a teenage girl who would have been of selfie age Who is completely unnoticed. She is absolutely a nobody. There's something amazingly intriguing. If you start reading, I just read the first couple chapters of Luke. Every single person that is revealed, that, that that is that it's revealed to that Christ is coming, or that notice that Christ is there, are people that are completely living in obscurity. It's the shepherds. It's the old priest. It's the woman who is a widow who has been at the temple for years waiting for Jesus to show up. It's all of these unknowns. It's Mary who is a poor, pregnant, out-of-wedlock child hiding in an obscure hill town led by a foreign power. And God comes to her and says, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna give birth to a son. You're gonna name him Jesus. Jesus. He's going to come from me, and he's going to be the one that everybody's been waiting on. And it's interesting how in that moment, Mary responds. Because here's the thing that happens. When we recognize that we are seen and known by a good God who loves us, knows us, actually wants to be around us. God doesn't just love you, he actually likes you. He wants to interact with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to have time with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants all of these things for us. And when we begin to notice that this is true, the only thing that can come out of us is worship. And so Mary writes what I believe is one of the most beautiful, poetic songs in all of Scripture. If you're a songwriter, you'll love this text. In Luke chapter one, verse 46, Mary responds. It's her, like, Magnum opus, it's the greatest thing that Mary has written and it comes after realizing maybe I'm not as obscure as I thought. Maybe I'm not alone in this world. Maybe God actually does see me. Maybe God actually does know me and maybe he doesn't just know me and see me but maybe he actually invites us into something. And this is how Mary responds. Luke chapter one, verse 46 and it says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Immediate worship. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Look at verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, from generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Listen to this, this is really good. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary immediately, when she recognizes that she's seen and known by God, goes to worship and if we really want to worship fully in this season if we really want to enter into the advent season it starts by recognizing that the advent season is a declaration to the world that God has not abandoned us that God has not forgotten us that God has not left us that God sees us that he knows us and that he loves us enough to do something about where we are and I don't know where you are in your life, but there are moments in our life where it's easy to start to believe that God has abandoned us, where it's easy to start to believe that God has left us, where it's easy to start to believe that God is some distant God who's far up in heaven, but doesn't see me, doesn't notice me. Mary says, you recognize my humble estate. You saw me where I was. You noticed me right here. And because God sees her and because God invites her into his plans, she worships. Verse 46 says, and Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked. He's looked at us. God sees you. He knows you. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the thoughts in your mind. He knows the pain in your hearts. He knows what you ate for breakfast this morning. He knows all of it. And he chooses to stay. Which for me, that's incredibly, incredibly good news. And the hidden question that many of us ask every single day of our lives is does anybody see my life? And does my life matter for anything? Does anybody see me? Does anybody notice that I've been knocking out this nine-to-five job forever? I put in overtime 15 times in the last two weeks, nobody notices nobody sees the work I'm doing nobody sees the extra time I'm putting in ever feel like you just nobody's noticing what's going on nobody sees it maybe you work in a job where you just feel like a cog in the machine, it just keeps spinning and I just keep showing up and I sit in cubicle world and I fill out TPS reports and that's what I do Maybe your parents never noticed you or paid attention to you when you were a kid. There is great pain in that. That's a wound that you gotta wrestle with for a really, really long time. Maybe your spouse doesn't see you. Like they're there, they're present, but they just don't see you. They don't know what's really going on. And the good news of this season is God sees you. He knows you. And it's not because, he doesn't see Mary because of her good looks, because of her incredible intellect, because she's the best of the best, because she's like of all the women in the world, Mary was the one teenager who was the brightest. Scripture doesn't tell us anything like that. It just says he sees her. And it's enough. Sometimes what we do is we kind of put our life into something. We pour our life into something and we want somebody to validate our life's work. I remember when my father was retiring, he was asking a lot of questions like, did what I do really matter? He wanted to know that his life. Which was a silly question because my dad was a school administrator who served so many underprivileged kids throughout his life. Like he was a saint the way he served and loved kids. But at the end of our life, when we're getting to that point where we're we're shutting down, even even in our 20s and 30s, we just want to make our mark in the world and we're so passionate about, I got to do this, I got to accomplish this, I got to get something done, and we want somebody to validate what we've done. Uh, I've got a friend that's a theologian. Like he's a writer, he writes about theology. And, and recently he met his hero, theologian. So like pastors, like, like normal people have like heroes that are like rock stars or actors. Pastors like, like get nervous when we talk to N.T. Wright or Walter Bergman. Like it's these nerdy people. You guys haven't heard of those people, right? It's these, it's these people that write books. And we're like, that's the brilliant book. And we meet that. Like I, I met one of those guys and I couldn't get a word out. It was like I was meeting a, I don't know, some famous actor or something. And and he met this guy and the guy said to him, I read your book and I thought it was brilliant. And he looked at me and he said, like, that validated my whole life's work. Because even in our work, we want somebody to see us. We want somebody to notice. We want somebody to validate our life. But here's the problem with that. When you're looking for others to validate your life, you're looking for something that's already been given to you. You're looking for something that the Father has already given to you. God looks at your life and he calls you his son and he calls you his daughter and he says, the kingdom is yours. Here's the keys to the kingdom. You have all authority, all power that's been given to me. I give to you and I'm adopting you into my family and you are one of the kids. It's all ours. It's all been given to us. We just need to accept it and receive it. That's why I say over and over again, the greatest difference between Jesus and us is that when Jesus was baptized, in that water and he came up out of the water and the father said this is my son in whom I am well pleased Jesus actually believed it and we don't he actually believed that he was the son of the most high God and that because he was the son of the most high God that was his identity his life didn't need to be validated by everybody else because it was validated by God and so all he could do is do what the father did Jesus said I only do what the father tells me to do and the reason he could live that way was because he didn't need validation from everybody else because he knew who he was. And not only did he know himself as a son, he also knew himself as the beloved son. Right? Not the not like some of us we have this belief about the father is that God has adopted me into the family, but I'm still the illegitimate child who has to earn everything. I've got to work for it and I've got to fight for it and I've got to battle for it and I've got to do all of these different things when the truth is, it's already yours. Like how good news is that? We just, we just have to receive it. And so over and over again, what we do is, is we respond in such a way that says, I, I've, I've got I've to do all these things to earn. I've got to do all these things to accomplish. I've got to do all these things to understand where God is sees me and the truth is he sees us and not only does he see Mary but the beautiful good news of this is that he actually invites her into what he's doing in the world God doesn't just see us he invites us into his plan for redemption for the world like that's incredibly good news he's invited us into his work and he says listen this is what I'm doing I'm making all things new I'm starting with every single person. I'm making all things new. And there are little bursts of light. I love that John describes Jesus coming to this world as the light. The light has entered the world. The darkness is now infected with the light. And the darkness cannot drive the light out. And what we get to do is be little parcels of light all over the place. Think about Jesus' life. I Look at Jesus' life. Jesus was a master at noticing what nobody else noticed. He was incredible at actually seeing people that nobody else saw. So Jesus saw the blind people. He saw the leper. He saw the prostitute. He saw the poor. He even saw the hearts of the rich. He saw them all and he touched them. And he loved them and he noticed them and he reached out to them and he invites us to do the same. And the question becomes, how do we actually become the people that see? Proverbs verses 20, verse 12 says, ears to hear and eyes to see, both are gifts from God. That's my prayer over and over again. As, as a pastor, I think the greatest prayer that I can pray is, Lord, would you give me eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you help me to notice what's going on behind what's going on? Would you help me really to see what's happening here? Would you help me to notice what's going on? Will you help me to have your eyes? Can I have your heart? Can I see what's really going on in the world? And so in Mary's prayer here, she says this. This is terrifying stuff. Verse 51, it says, He has shown strength with his arm, but he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Like he's, Can you think? Like that, to me, that's the definition of hell. You are, you are eternally stuck in your thoughts. You're eternally trapped in your thoughts. He has stuck you in the, heart, in, in the thoughts of your heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Listen to this, verse 53, it says, He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. And so what happens is there's a way that we can come to the Father. There's a way that we can come to him that is completely humble, like Mary, that just simply says, I just wanna be seen. I just wanna be known by you. I just wanna participate in what you're doing in the world. I just wanna work with you for the redemption of all things. And it has nothing to do with me or how good I am. It has everything to do with how good you are. And in that posture, we can wait on God. In that posture, in that humble posture, we can see what's actually going on in the world and we can notice it. And in that posture, we can wait in such a way that says obscurity is not punishment, but it's preparation. If you don't feel like you're seen right now, maybe God's preparing you for something. And the question is can we wait? Can we wait to hear from his voice? I love Eugene Peterson's definition of prayer. I shared this a few weeks ago. Prayer is the disciplined refusal to act before God speaks. Prayer is waiting, it's us waiting for God to say, Go. And the question is do we have the patience to wait and to wait until he says, Go? And when he speaks, do we obey? The fundamental questions of discipleship are always, do we listen? Are we hearing from God? And then when he speaks, are we obeying? And so discipleship is training our hearts to hear from God and respond when he speaks. It's giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. So as a church, guys, this is our desire. This is, this is the people that we wanna become. We wanna become the type of church that sees. We wanna become the type of church that, that notices I, I know that it's easy in this East Cobb to kind of feel like there are no needs around us. I want you to know the more I hang out here, the more I realize how absolutely broken our, our, our city is. There are deep, deep wounds and pain. There are people all over our city. There are people that you come in contact every single day like Julie described who need to be seen who needs somebody to notice them? who needs somebody to say, I am serving you because God sent me here, because God asked me to. And the reason that I know, that the reason I see you is because God sees you. I was on a plane traveling to Kenya and I was sitting next to an aid worker there and the aid worker was telling me about all the brokenness and all the pain and all the hurt in Kenya and he had become quite hard-hearted in the process of doing all his relief work. And he kind of was getting to the place where he's feeling like everything's so corrupt. I feel like the money we give just doesn't go anywhere. And he said to me, he said, I believe that God's abandoned this place. And I said, I can 100% prove to you that God's not abandoned this place. And he said, I'd I'd love to see you do that. How can you do that? And I said, because I'm sitting next to you on a plane and I'm going to Kenya, not because I want to not because it was an exciting family vacation for me to go for two weeks and do relief work. I'm going to Kenya because I was praying and I felt like God said, go to Kenya. And there's a group of 25 people with me who are all traveling to Kenya, not because it's the cool thing to do, not because we're just really excited about it. We're going because God's called us. We're going because God saw and then he called us to see. Does that make sense? Because when we listen to God, when we become in touch with where the Spirit's leading, what begins to happen is throughout our day, we get these little nudges like Julie had, which is roll your window down, right? These little nudges throughout the day, which are like, hey, this conversation that you're having here, it matters. Stay here. This person that just walked past you, pay attention to them. That's why we say all the time, the curriculum for discipleship, it's our life. It's learning to pay attention to God in our everyday life. Like, I love it that we gather together here on Sundays. I love it that we sing songs. I love it that we open God's word. But but our faith is shown not here on Sunday, one hour a week. Our faith is shown seven days a week in whether we're actually being obedient to where God has called us. And the question is, will, will our neighborhood, will our community know us by our love? Like if there's one thing that, like there's a lot of churches that are known for a lot of different things, right? There, there's the churches that are like, this is a good Bible believing church and they teach the Bible and I love going because they teach the Bible and, and they're Bible people. I'd love to be known as Bible people. That's great. There's churches where they say, I go there because that worship leader, when he sings, like it's, it's like Jesus and Beyonce, right? It's, it's, it's amazing. And the Holy Spirit shows up and everything happens and it's incredible. And they're a worship church. There's other churches that are like, they have the greatest youth ministry in the world and they're great with kids. And, and they, you know, they have so many kids that show up and, and you know what I want to be known as, I want to be known as the church that loves. That's what I want us to be known as. I want people to walk in this door and I want people to see us out in the community. I don't want nobody, I, don't, I don't even care if they walk in the door. I want people to, to know this is a church who's gonna love us. This is a church that's gonna see us. This is a church that's gonna notice us. That's what the Advent season is about. The good news that allows us to worship fully is that God saw us and he didn't just see us and stand by at a distance and watch. He sent his son, Emmanuel, to be with us. So we see, and then we gather with. So the good news for you is that God sees you. The good news for you is that God is with you. The good news for you is that a light has come into the dark place, and I know that this world seems dark, and I know that it seems challenging, and I know that it seems hard, and I know that there are moments when it feels like the light isn't winning, but it is. It's spreading spark by spark, light by light, and I wish that some of you could hear the stories that I hear every single week of the good news that God is spreading from here on Sunday mornings out to the world because of what God's doing in our hearts. That's what we want. I want a movement of multiplying disciples that changes Marietta forever. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the good news of that? When we start going and we start seeing and we start noticing. So this year, as we entered into this Advent season, we just started to say, all right, Lord, who's somebody that nobody sees? Who's somebody that nobody notices? And how do we take this Christmas season to be like you? How do we become a people that see? And as we prayed as a team and as we talked about this as a team, uh, the Lord led us to this organization called Shine Uganda. Uh, It's an organization that's in Uganda, It's a small organization. It's not a giant organization. We talked to them about some of their needs and they said, listen, here's the biggest problem in our community is that people don't have clean water. They have to walk actually to the Nile River to get clean water. There's all kinds of diseases and struggles and battles that come from that. And so what we've done, this missionary team has actually hooked up the whole community's clean water into their water in their house. And they're trying to spread water out that way. But obviously there's a lot of complications and difficulties with that. And so they've asked us, hey, Grace Marietta in Marietta, Georgia, would you help us? Would you see us? Would you notice us? Would you do something to help us? And so our hope is to build two wells uh, for both communities that are right there where this missionary team is living uh, that can serve that entire community that can bring clean. Can you imagine like the pain of just not being able to access clean water? It's just, it's unimaginable for us, guys. We've got 85 bottles of clean water sitting in the back, right? We just, anytime we want clean water, we just turn a faucet on and we're fine. Like, it's just not, a, it's not an issue for us. Can you imagine living in a world where that's not possible and that's not? So good news is somebody sees us. Somebody notices us. And the good news that those missionaries are gonna deliver to the folks in Uganda is, you know who sees you? God does. Because you know what he did? He challenged the hearts of a bunch of people in Marietta, Georgia, to actually do something for us. So two wells is $15,000. That's our hope, is we're gonna raise $15,000 in the next four weeks, and we're gonna send that off to Uganda, and we're gonna start, we're gonna, we'll, we'll show pictures of the whole journey. We're gonna get to show you pictures of when we're actually experiencing the wells for the first time, when kids are drinking water from it, all the fun stuff that comes with that. Um, but I want you to watch this video from the missionaries on the ground who are telling you just a little bit about their ministry,
1: Our family of 13 moved to Uganda in 2016. Shine Village Initiative really began out of a love for our friends and neighbors there. Our 11 kids played with their friends every day, and we began to notice that many of them didn't have food, safe shelter, shoes, they weren't going to school. And because of the love of God that we've known and seen, we just didn't feel like that was okay. One day we started a worship time out by the Nile River, and that launched our Bible Time and Feeding Outreach program. It started that day with about 30 kids. Now we have 240 children every Saturday morning that come to the Shine compound to fill their bellies with eggs and bread and their hearts with the Word of God. We also began to notice that kids were coming to our home selling fruit or fish to try to help pay for their school fees. That launched our sponsorship program to send kids back to school. But more than anything, we wanted to empower their caregivers so that they could be self-sufficient. Our holistic empowerment program looks at what talents, giftings, and dreams each caregiver already has and makes an individualized plan to help them so that prayerfully in two years, the family would graduate from the program and be self-sufficient. One of the hardest things to witness was the ladies and children collecting their water. Collecting water is difficult and time-consuming but absolutely necessary. Sometimes it's so necessary that children can't go to school simply because they have to fetch their family's water. Many of them walked the steep path down to the Nile and had to lug that dirty water back up to their homes. God really laid a dream on our hearts to have a special piece of land for shine where we could have a large community-covered hut for things like Bible studies, feeding outreach, and vocational trainings. We hope to have a playground and a soccer field, but one of the most critical things first is a freshwater well. Thank you for your giving. Out of your excess or out of your sacrifice, what a gift clean water will be to our friends and neighbors in Namibia we can't wait to celebrate with you by showing you those first pumps of fresh, clean water. Thank you for being a part of the Shine family and shining your lights so that he may receive glory. From our family to yours, thank you. May God bless you richly.
0: Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go into a time of worship. And, and I really wanna just encourage you to, to reflect on this idea as we go into worship. God sees you. Like he, he knows you. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows you, he sees you, and he stays. And that's incredibly good news. So let's worship the God who sees us, and let's worship the God that invites us into his mission and plan for the world. Communion is up front, and so we've got two communion tables, one in the back, one in the front. As you take that bread and you take that juice, just remember that there is a Savior who came, who knew me and knows my name, Uh, And that's incredibly good news. So Father, we just thank you that you're the God who sees us, that you're the God who knows us, that you're the God who loves us. I pray that our hearts would be exactly the same as Mary's, that that would lead us to a place of worship where we worship fully who you are and what you've done, that you're faithful and that you're true and that you're good, that you know us and you choose to stay that you love us despite our imperfections and that you call us to something greater. And so we just pray that this would become a place where we are known by you, where we are loved by you, but we also hear your voice challenging us and calling us to become more like you every single day. So call us out of our sleeping, call us out of our ordinary life, call us out of our obscurity, invite us into the adventure of following you. I pray that Grace Marietta becomes a place where kingdom dreams are awakened and sent out. So Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak. We give you permission to challenge us. We give you permission to move and work in our hearts in such a way that leads us outside of these doors and into the community pray that you would break our heart for what breaks yours. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and we pray that we would no longer pursue a false sense of knowing, but we would pursue really being known by you. Thank you, God. It's in your name we pray.